This week, um, this week, Pastor Bob pulled down a book that he's had on the shelf for a long while and decided to use it as his time with God. I mean, I read the scriptures and I pray, but I wanted to have something that was somebody else's words to kind of prompt my thinking. So I started reading this book. It's called Devotional Classics. And it's basically a, a collection of different writings. And this very first page that I was reading on was uh, written by C.S. Lewis. Not page, but it was about six or seven pages. And at the end of it, um, they referred to the idea of the cost of being a follower of Jesus. And I want to read to you the scriptures that came with it, and then we're going to talk for a few minutes. Because it just, it gripped my soul earlier this week when I was doing it, and I've chewed on it all the week long. And I want to share with you some of the thoughts I've had. In the book of, uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, Jesus says to his, to the, to the disciples, well, it says, now great crowds accompany Jesus. So he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me, and doesn't hate his own father and mother, or his wife and children, or brothers and sisters. Yes, doesn't, and if he even doesn't hate his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. <clears throat> For which of you desiring to build a tower doesn't first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he had laid a foundation and, and then is not able to finish it, all who will see that unfinished tower will begin to mock him, saying, yeah, his man began to build, and, but he wasn't able to finish it. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if while the other is still yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any of you who does not renounce all that he has, you cannot be my disciple. And those words are not kind. Those words are not inclusive. Those words, some would say, are not even loving. Because Jesus very clearly lays down a line in the sand and says, this is how it will be if you're going to be my disciple. And the reality is, folks, if you're not willing to do that, you can't be my disciple. And as I was reading this little bit of work from C.S. Lewis. It was out of the book Mere Christianity. Um, it was excerpts that they had taken out of that book. There was a last question for thought. And it said, in light of what you've just read by C.S. Lewis and these scriptures, the Luke chapter 14, what has it cost you to be a disciple? Wow. What has it cost me to be a disciple? And I chewed on that. And 
Almost instantly I had an answer, which you will hear in a moment or two. But before I give you the answer that I wrote in my journal, I want to share with you what God said to me about out of his scripture about this idea. Because see, for me, my initial response is, well, that's not very nice, God, to tell me I have to hate my mother and father. I have to hate my wife and my children. I have to hate my brothers and sisters in order to be your disciple. Or I have to hate my own life in order to be your disciple. I mean, that's literally what it says. I just read it to you. And then it says, and don't be an idiot. I'm paraphrasing now. But basically what Jesus said was, don't be an idiot. Don't start out on this path without counting the costs, without realizing what it's going to cost you. And he said, you know, think about it. What idiot would go out and build a tower when he doesn't have enough resources to finish it? All it's going to be is an, an embarrassment to him. Every time he drives by, he's going to go, oh my word, that, that unfinished building is still sitting there as a testimony to his foolishness. He started, but he couldn't finish it. And the same thing he said with a king who wants to go to war, but after he gets, he throws the challenge out, and the other king goes, yeah, come on, we'll fight you. And all of a sudden he realizes, ooh, he's a lot bigger than I thought he was. Ooh, his arm is much bigger than I thought. We better uh, reassess this and send out a delegation to try and maybe make peace before we actually get into battle, because otherwise we're going to get squashed. So Jesus said, in normal everyday life, it is normal for people to count the cost before they begin a building project, before they go to war, before anything. So I'm just telling you, count the cost if you say you want to be my disciple. Well, as I was, as I was reflecting on this, the, the one passage of scripture that Jesus, I don't want to say he threw it in my face, but he kind of threw it in my face when I was being a little bit, well, this isn't fair. This isn't right. How can you demand this of us? And Jesus said, well, okay, let's, let's, let's look at what I'm demanding, okay? Look at Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn to there. The book of, we're in the book of Luke right now, so you go farther back into the end of the book, towards the end of the book. And it's Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So in my book, it's on page 1710, 1711. But look at chapter 2 of Philippians. And we're going to just look at the first, uh, the first 10 or 11 verses. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from, my, from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And verse 5 is the crux of this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, if if you if you were to open up the hymnals that are in the pew racks in front of you and turn to reading number eight, you would see the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed is one of the most ancient Christian creeds. It's a statement of our faith. And it says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. So this ancient Christian creed says, we believe in God, we believe in Jesus, and so we're understanding that Jesus is key to this belief and to having a right relationship with God. But what did Jesus do? He became a human being. He was born of Mary. He literally humbled himself. In verse um, of chapter two for, uh, of, of chapter two of Philippians, it says in verse seven, he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. The Greek word that we have translated here, emptied, is the word kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S, kenosis. And it literally means that he had the right and privileges of being God. But he willingly gave all that up. He humbled himself so that he could take on the form of a human being. Why? Because it fulfilled the plans and purposes of God the Father. So Jesus, who has all the rights and privileges and the honor due him of being God, literally gave it all up to the point where he was nothing. Literally, was the, 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 the words of the, of the hymn writer are, he emptied himself of all but love. This kenosis was Jesus willingly giving up everything. It's even more than, you know, you know the old stories of the princes or the kings who dress as a pauper and walk through the streets of their kingdom pretending to be poor so they can see what it's like to live among the real and normal people. That's not what this is talking about. This kenosis, this emptying himself. Jesus didn't just dress up as a pauper so he could make himself line up and, 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 and pretend to be one. He literally gave up all of his rights and privileges as God in order to take on human form. And he did it because it was so important to the plan of the Father. Now, fast forward 30 years in this earth, Jesus is no longer a baby. He's now a full-grown adult facing his last day on this earth. Coming to the crux of the whole plan where he's going to be put on the cross. And what do we see happening? If you're familiar with the story, he goes out to the garden known as Gethsemane. And he gets on his face before God. And he says, if there's any way 
that this could pass without me having to actually go through all of this, that would be a really good thing. But I am not going to force my will. Father, I want your perfect will. I'm willing to lay down even my life so that your perfect plan for bringing relationship back to where it's supposed to be with these humans so it can be accomplished. That's what I'm willing to do, Father. So Jesus, Philippians chapter 2 tells us, God, the only begotten Son of God, emptied himself completely of the rights and privileges of being God for the express purpose of fulfilling the plan of the Father so that Jesus could take on the sins of every single human being and be found an acceptable sacrifice so that his blood, his death, could bring about right relationship for each one of us. That's what Jesus gave up. You see, Jesus had a cost in order to have relationship with us. So isn't it appropriate for the one who literally gave up everything because of his love for you to demand the same from you? Isn't it appropriate for Jesus to say, if you really want to be my disciple, if you want to be my follower, I demand that your love for me, your desire to be with me, make your love for your mother and father look like you hate them. That much of a contrast. If you want to be in relationship with me, if you want to be my disciple, your hopes, your dreams, your plans, your wishes, your desires, all have to be totally, totally like this. Nothing can be in competition with me. Now, he's not literally saying, hate your mother and father. What he's saying is, your love for your parents has to be so much less than your love for me. Your love for your children has to be so much less than your love for me. Your hopes and dreams and desires for your future and your home and your and your your everything has to be this much less than your desire to love me, honor me, serve me. That's what I demand from people who want to be in relationship with me. That's what is required. And if you're not willing to do that, let's not even enter into this transaction because it ain't worth it. You're just wasting my time and you're wasting yours. And I don't need you bringing any kind of bad reputation on the church. There's plenty of others before you who've already done that. Think about it. Think about it. Who can you think of right now in this moment who never fully counted the cost and started off on the path of right relationship with God but has walked away? Big names and even people that will never be known by the population, but you know them personally. And they've all, it's an embarrassment. Well, if God's real, how in the world does that happen? So God has said, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be my follower, count the cost. And once you make that decision, follow through with it. This is not a game. I'm offering you everything. I have done all. But I demand all. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment by one of the lawyers? And he said, 
the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second commandment is like it. You should love your neighbors just as much as you love yourself. And the lawyer said, wow, you, you answered that really well. He said, well, thanks. Kind of God, I wrote it, so I guess it's okay. But literally, I mean, he didn't say that because he emptied himself. He had already emptied himself. He wasn't looking for a claim. He was pointing everyone to the Father. But the reality was, the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength. All that you are. Everything. And if you're not willing to do that, then don't waste your time. Because that's what he demands. Now, let's go back to my personal stuff. When I reflected on this, and it's only, a, it's only a page. Don't worry about it. It'll only take a minute to read it. What has being a Christian cost me? <clears throat> and it, like I said, it didn't take long for me to read this, to think this through. I, I wrote it almost instantly. It cost me my life's dream of being a professional entertainer. From an early age, I've wanted to perform. <clears throat> but when I gave my life to Christ... God changed the course of my life. He put a deep-seated desire in my heart to perform for God as a minister of the gospel. And frankly, I feel like I'm better off for it. As a youngster, as an adolescent, as an early adult, I was very insecure about my self-worth. I constantly looked for other people's approval. Now, as a servant of the Most High, I am quite content knowing that I am accepted as I am by the one who matters most. Yes, I gave up my dreams, but I gained a reality that is so far greater than any dream I could have imagined for myself. To God alone be the glory. Kenosis is emptying of yourself. Giving up your wants, your desires, your dreams because you want to honor God. Now, <clears throat> does it mean to honor God you have to stop doing what it is you love? No. What it does mean is if what you love will not allow you to love God, then you must give it up. My wife's brother, who's now in heaven, back when he was a young adult, was afraid that God was going to call him in to be a minister because his father was a minister and his grandparents were ministers. And he just knew that God was going to call him to be a minister. And he wasn't going to give his life to Christ because he was not going to be a minister. And then finally, he said, I can't fight it. <laughs> I can't fight it. I have no choice but to serve God. And if it means I have to be a minister, then so be it. Okay, God, I'm willing to be a minister. Let's go. And the Lord was like, what are you talking about? I never asked you to be a minister. I just wanted your will. I just wanted you to say, yes, you'd be willing to if I ask. And see the difference? 
It's not that he asks you to give up your hopes and your dreams. He says, will you be willing to give it up if I ask? Because if not, now we got a problem. You see, and I've shared this before, but when I was, when I was a young adult, I was still holding on to that dream of being an actor. I mean, I truly was. I, I, I've wanted to be an actor since the time I was in third grade. And I was involved with a community theater group while we were living in the Philippines. And I was asked if I would uh, be part of a production of Fiddler on the Roof. And I prayed about it. And the Lord said, no, do not do this. And I literally rebelled against God and said, well, I'm going to just audition. And if you don't want me to get a part, just don't let me get a part. Well, God's not going to play that game. And I auditioned. I got a part. And the end result was, I almost ended up having an extramarital affair with the woman who was playing uh, Tevye's wife, Golda. God saw all of that and was trying to protect me from all of that. And the end result was, thank God I didn't have the affair. My relationship with my wife is still intact. But that almost happened. And then after uh, after all of this was said and done, God then dealt with me about my theater in my life. And... At one point, when I finally, finally, finally recognized that that was the problem, he said, and it is no longer part of your life. It's done. It's out. You cannot have theater and me. And I literally yelled, no, God, you can't. It's my life. And God went, exactly. That is exactly the problem. It is your life. It is above me. And as a result, it's gone Or I'm gone. Which do you choose? I had to say I choose God. Because I knew that that was the right thing. But it hurts. Even to this day, 30 plus years later, it hurts to not be able to do that which is my heart's desire. But I can't. Not and stay in right relationship with Jesus. I can't. I want to. Oh, there's times that I want to. I see advertisements for, for auditions for different shows, and I'm like, oh, I could do that. And the Lord's like, go for it if you want. No, I don't want God. I know that's right. And so it is an issue. Even when you give stuff up for God, the enemy's still going to throw it at you and try and tempt you. Because if you allow that to override your relationship with God, the enemy has won. See, God is again saying, this is an all or nothing proposition with me. You want to be my child? You want the benefits of being in relationship with God? You want to go to heaven? Well, this is what I demand. You don't want that? That's fine. Go whatever path you choose. But if you want me, And all that I have to offer to you. This is the way. And there is no other way. You must follow it. And that is. Loving the Lord your God. With all of your heart. With all of your mind. With all of your soul. With all of your strength. And not letting anything. 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 Get in that way. Because as Jesus said. In Luke chapter 14. Your love for your mom and dad, your love for your children, your love for your life, and all of your dreams must look like hate when in comparison to your love for me. Otherwise, 
there's an imbalance and it ain't going to work. That's what he was saying. It wasn't being an unkind thing, saying you've got to hate everybody. It was saying you've got to love me so much greater, in, su- in such a greater fashion than anything else if you want to stay in right relationship with me. That's a pretty strong and powerful thing to, med- to, to process and to, to meditate on. And so I encourage you guys in the coming days as you spend time with the Lord, think about that. What in my life, what, what is it in my life that could possibly be out of balance where I love it as much or more than my relationship with God? And then make it right. Confess and repent. Doesn't mean you have to get rid of the horse. Ooh, did I say that? <laughs> Or whatever it is. I'm just looking at a certain person. (laughs) It doesn't mean you have to get rid of whatever it is that you're struggling over. But it does mean you've got to make the relationship right between you and God. And if it is a matter of having to get rid of it, then do it. Because what's more important? Your eternal soul? Or you're having a nice time while you're here? Let's pray. Jesus, I give you praise, and I give you thanks, and I give you honor. God, these are, these are powerful and hard words to hear, but they bring life. And so I ask, God, that you would just move in our midst and, and move in each of our hearts this week. And talk to us, Father, about what it means to truly count the cost of what it means to be a relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.